I'm Bee Heller, and this is The Pioneers, a podcast series interviewing business founders and leaders who are pioneering new management practices and ways of working to create inspiring organisational cultures. Today, I'm talking to Stuart Bromley, Chief Operating Officer of Atom Bank, a company that prides itself on being entirely values-led in everything they do. And with a culture built on the values of their customers, they're on a mission to disrupt the banking industry. Innovation is incredibly important to startup businesses. We believe in, I guess, uh, yeah, entropy. Yeah, if you want to maximise change, you've got to maximise entropy. To do that, you actually want chaos. The Pioneers is a podcast for business founders and people leaders who are striving to make their own workplaces deliver for their people and who want their culture to be a source of strength that drives the future growth of their company. We interview business founders and leaders who we think we can all learn something from. We get past the conceptual ideas to bring you the day-to-day habits and practices these businesses use to create and sustain their cultures. We'll bring you one pioneer each episode, so tune in for 30 minutes of wisdom and practical ideas for you to test in your own organisation each week. I'm Stuart Bromley. I'm the Chief Operating Officer. I'm responsible for all of that, I guess, customer-facing front-end side of the business, so customer services, customer support, banking services, payment services, uh, underwriting originations, all the sorts of things that customers need to bank. I'm also responsible for the people experience team, which in other words is all the HR sort of disciplines. Why did you join the founding team of Atom Bank in the first place, nearly five years ago now? Yeah, um, that's uh, relatively easy. So, so I've been working in banking for now probably the last 14, 15 years and at board level been preaching the opportunity to do, um, do digital and digital startup and how digital is so fundamentally different as a concept to just being a channel, which is how many other banks just see it. Uh, it's not just a channel. Uh, and therefore the opportunity to join um, a startup business that was there to create the first true digital-only bank was too too great a calling for me to turn down. Why do you distinguish between a digital channel and you say it's more than just a channel? What do you mean by that? Uh, yeah, I, I like to refer to it as a self-service business. Yeah, we're we're here to to equip customers with the the capabilities to to look after their finances and bank themselves. Uh, if you take a mortgage, for example. From receipt of a full mortgage application to uh, our uh, offer, giving you a full legally bounding offer, uh, our fastest is 14 seconds. Wow. So, so yeah, we automate everything and and we provide yeah that great seamless service. And yes, we do have a customer service team. That's one of the things I'm responsible for because people get stuck on the technology or they or, or they need help in one form or another, and we're we're there to help them and get them through that stuff. But we're not there to bank you. Um, you do that yourself. And in reality, that yeah, it was a gap in the market. The you know, customers of um, have wanted to bank digitally and digitally only for some time, uh, and actually, it's the largest growing segment in the population. People who want to do that, and actually, none of the banks offer that today. They offer a channel onto a raft amount of 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 product and propositions and and mess technology-wise and process-wise. They force you to go to the branch and sign in bits of paper and show identities and various various different things. So it's quite old school and actually not really what is fit for purpose for a 21st century millennial who really, uh, and anybody else who wants to just bank digitally. so we wanted to create that experience, and, and the, the gap in the market was if you could create a true digital experience that was, was you know, truly does self-service, you don't need to talk to it ever, um, 
not only do you get then a better digital experience, um, but our cost becomes incredibly low because it's a self-service model. We have very little overhead. And because of that, we can also give you great rates, great price. Mm. So the consumer wins both in terms of experience and getting more value. Um, and we think that is long overdue. Right? And, and there's a gap in the market, and that's what we're trying to fill. Can I uh, get you to just reflect on your proudest moment to date at Atom Bank? Every day you can sit back and look at what we've created. I mean, we, we've got... We're the fastest growing lender in the country. We have just actually, yesterday, uh, we are now the, the highest trusted bank in the country, for, according to Trustpilot. Our NPS scores are in the 80s, you know, which is unheard of in the banking world, right? We're highly recommended, 99% recommendation. You know, so in terms of, and would people uh, buy more products for us? You know, I mean, it's staggering. Um, so, we, so we know we're doing a lot of things right. And when you stand back and think, well, we've now got you know, over $2 billion of lending in, in resi mortgages alone. We've got the same sort of money in savings. We've got... Um, yeah, we employ 340, 350 people, seem to be more. We're hiring still at the moment. Um, we've raised 400 million pounds of capital. Yeah. So yeah, when we started this, yeah, there were six of us actually in the room, room which is yeah, what, about, I don't know, 20 square meters at yeah, most. Yeah, um, And actually, you know, we've, we've come from six of us in one room to in a building with employing that number of people, serving you know, tens of thousands of customers, uh, yeah, with a, with, a, with a very fast-growing balance sheet. Yeah, that's, you look at that and you think, wow, we did that. Point of personal pride in something you feel you've left your mark on that Atom Bank's achieved? We set out to be a very values-based business, uh, and we are still a very values-based business. And I can't tell you how much that's helped shape the entire business. Um, so the fact that yeah the stuff that that yeah I I drove and shared and we sort of cajoled on literally probably in the first six weeks of starting this has has, uh, has definitely stayed the test of time um, and it very much you can see it you can feel it in the business and you know and I think that that will pay dividends for years to come still yeah. That kind of maybe leads into the, the, the next question I wanted to ask, which is over the last five years, what's been the most significant people management or cultural challenge that you've faced as a, as a startup yeah, organisation? I, I, I think, uh, as, as anybody would know who's gone through growth, um, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the growing pains itself more, more than anything else, right? So, so you have to do things sort of tactically different, right? Uh, it doesn't mean you, you deviate from the value system you created, but you just have to do things. It's not practical. To so, so for example, in the in the first 12, 18 months, we used to have weekly all-employee meetings. Yeah, everyone used to get 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 off their desk, get off the chairs, uh, stand in a room, and and uh, and our CEO and anybody else would talk for 20 minutes, half an hour. Everyone knew everyone. Everyone knew what was going on. You know, it was really easy to, to communicate, right? Um, now, we still have an incredibly open, uh, candid way of working today, a very collaborative way of working. Uh, all our offices are open plan. Um, and, and most walls you can write on, so you can see everything that's going on. You can talk to anybody. 
but it's just not practical, especially when you're serving customers. You can't just suddenly pull everyone together on a weekly basis and get them in the room. and talk. It, just, it just can't be done as practical. Um, so you have to sort of change those mechanisms. So, for example, we had to introduce, and quite rightly, yeah, we have a, a leadership uh, meeting actually once this afternoon, uh, which we hold sort of m- monthly. So we still do all employees, but they tend to be about every six to eight weeks now, not every week. Um, uh, and they're videoed so that people that can't miss on the on the, on the serving customers can see stuff or play back stuff. You know, so so you have to adopt mechanisms. So you still get that sense of inclusiveness. You still got that the same concept. But because of the scale, you have to do things differently. In that leadership meeting, is much more around making sure you're sharing stuff so that they, so the leadership group in the company can go and disseminate and have their own little town hall meetings and their own things, right? So you'll see stuff happen like that every day in terms of gatherings. And so we're still communicating. We still we communicate pretty effectively. You just can't get everyone in the same room every week. It just, it's just practically not possible. And can I ask on that, for the benefit of other people, what were the signs that you started to notice that made you go we should start doing something differently now. We can no longer get everybody together on a weekly basis. It's just not feasible. Uh, I actually, I think it was more, it was probably, uh, you know, these two coincided, but uh, so I don't know what, what truly was the driving force. You know, it was either size or operational. You know, so as soon as you turn operational, you're serving customers. Um, you know, you, you, you know, customers come first. Uh, and, and, and therefore you can't, you know, you have to change the dynamic of how that stuff works. Now, the growth of the bank probably was around uh, yeah, 150, 175 people by that stage. Uh, and therefore, you know, it was also one of scale too, I think. Um, yeah, at one stage, yeah, actually, we had to split ourselves across two buildings. We're now all underneath the same roof in the main. We do have a very small office in London uh, for very good reasons. Uh, and we have a few field-based people. But in the main, we're all in one building now. Um, and again, that makes it easier to sort of manage, you know, especially collaborate. It's not yeah. just the comms, it's the collaboration that you get really works. I think that's uh, really interesting. We talk a lot about scale and uh, we've spoken about, and it's quite commonly spoken about in start, rapid growth startups, Dunbar's number around 150, where you, know, you get to the point where you just can't simply keep track of the relationships within a group of that size. Yeah. But you've just layered on an alternative perspective on that which is switching on customers almost becoming a real operating business with customers that you have to answer to puts a completely different load of pressures on the business and I just think that's a really interesting point to highlight and, and, and pause on because I think lots of digital businesses go through similar sorts of uh, moments in time where you've spent ages building something and you might have released it a little bit in test but then you you might release the next big part of your product that suddenly customers are using and you have to respond to that and it's interesting how that changes your internal operational practices too so yeah I think that was just a really interesting point to reflect on I mean the other thing that we've we've done recently um, a little bit sad but again it shows you the power of the family is we've had a couple of bereavements recently, yeah. employee bereavements. Um, uh, and it really does rally people around, you know, yeah. that um, that uh, sense of loss, but then that shared um, celebration of that individual, both for, that, for their life, but also their time here yeah. at Atom. Um, and it really does, you know, just shows you the strength of the bonds that's in the business when that sort of stuff happens, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's um, yeah, it's, that was a sad example, but actually, 
does an incredibly powerful way of showing how strong a connective force you've really created. That's when you know your values really do matter. When you've experienced moments like that where you go, yeah, this, this is how I would hope the business would respond in these situations. Can um, I get you to maybe just share a bit of perspective, step outside of the Atom Bank world and share your perspective on startup culture generally mm-hmm. and whether you think that startups, rapidly growing businesses, challenger businesses like Atom Bank offer or have the opportunity to offer a different kind of employee experience. Uh, I think the uh, the experience uh, it can give you um, is fundamentally different to that of a large corporate. And, and I say that having spent many a year working for large corporates, and I don't regret that in one iota. For me, uh, I learn a huge amount of stuff from my, my corporate life. But in terms of speed of learning, you know, your agility to soak stuff up, the ability to apply stuff, the ability to, to freely think and act is considerably different when you're in a startup business, right? Um, now that's not for everybody, you know, because there is no safety net in that uh, and it's very exposing, right? So it's definitely not for everybody and some people would definitely should and would want to go through almost the security of working in an institution uh, to learn the basics and really to understand themselves and what their true strengths are before going into more of a startup type type discipline. Uh, but but actually, you know, in a startup, you know, we make decisions in, you know, we make more decisions every 15 minutes that I would have made in six months in working at someone like HSBC. And that's no disrespect to HSBC; they're, they're very strong, very 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 company. But yeah, you, know, you are you are apps. You're running at a thousand miles an hour. It is a very different way of operating. The freedom to act and deliver, and the expectation, because your roles tend to be much broader. You, know, you, have to, you have to wear many hats. You have to do what's necessary that week. So you, you don't come with a set agenda that this is what I'm going to do for this next three months, six months, three years, in some ways you see. You'll be lucky if you get through the day doing that, because you're going to have to do whatever. You have to drop things and do whatever's necessary to get your business through to that next hurdle, right? Um, so it drives a very different set of dynamics that's not for everybody and that does create stress it creates anxiety there's like i said there's no safety net but equally it creates a massive amount of freedom variety challenge you know personal growth uh that you just will not get uh, anywhere near the degree of that stuff working in an institution you just won't get that that speed of personal growth that you can get in a startup, right? Um, and then, and then for the, I think the interest of work is very different. You know, the sense of purpose is very different. You know, when when you're a very, 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 very small cog in a very, 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 very large engine, you know, the sense of purpose for the overall business can get lost, especially when it's a mass market business, and the and and the value that you generate can be diminished. When when you are a, you know even a small cog but in a very small machine. Uh, it is incredibly transparent, typically what that machine is there for, what it is doing, and it is incredibly transparent of the value that you're bringing to that business. And that can be, again, really inspiring and motivating because you can really see what you're doing and what value is adding. Do you think that kind of a, an experience of work is becoming more appealing to people? Uh, you know, millennials, they want a voice. They want to, you know, the snowflakes, they want to be individuals. They want to be able to be something, do something, be known for something, right? 
Uh, and I think, you know, so as a generation, I think you're seeing a generation that is that is clearly driven, you know, to to want to innovate and and do something and be themselves, right? As opposed to you know, a baby boomer generation that that wanted to belong and be part of something, and you know, be a democracy, right? I think my perspective on generational issues is I don't think human what motivates human beings has fundamentally changed over time I think human beings have always had core intrinsic motivations like desiring to desiring a sense of purpose or meaning in in what they're doing wanting to learn and progress to be happy Uh, we we want to feel like we belong and are accepted by the communities around us and at the same time we don't want to be lost in the crowd we want to feel like we as an individual bring something special to that group and and those sorts of things i think what a startup environment provides is a context in which it's easier to appeal to some of those sources of motivation that get lost in large organizations it can be much harder to create a sense of belonging and community in a very very big organization slow moving uh, organizations also don't provide so many opportunities for people to learn and progress because there's just there's so many other people who are there's you know, structures already in place that mean you don't get those opportunities don't land at your feet quite so readily so I'm interested having sort of articulated some of the uh, some of the things that you think are really important to atom employees and the sorts of motivation the sort of motivation environment you t- try to create here what do you think have been some of your most successful people practices or hr practices that you've brought into the business you have to design uh, your, your philosophy your 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 employee philosophy and then make sure that everything fits that philosophy right hence value systems are so critical to actually how you do it and if you really buy values you really then hire on those values interestingly you 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 are you are significantly increasing the chance of this happening by osmosis right innovation is incredibly important to to just start up businesses yeah, and, and I guess yeah, we we believe in I guess uh, yeah, entropy. Yeah, if you want to maximise yeah, change, you've got to maximise entropy. Um, and and therefore, to do that, you actually want want chaos. And almost the, the greater the chaos, the the more inventive, the more freedom, the more empowering you're going to become to allow people to be great, right? And and the more rigor, process, control you put around it. You're, the more you're constraining people to be great, right? And therefore, you know, the, that, and then if you have that as your core construct, as one of your philosophies, <laughs> then um, then it naturally happens. Now, there are consequences to that stuff. So chaos is great on one hand, great on innovation. Uh, actually, the stress it creates is, uh, is uh, dealing with ambiguity and, uh, and uh, the fear of sort of not knowing, right? Um, and that creates stress. Um, but again, if you're hiring people that are on that value system and really want that, then the, the value of having freedom to act and do is much more appealing than the, than the degree of anxiety you get from not having something that's so predictable, right? But I think, you know, and then, then we try and design stuff that then just fuels that. So, so for example, 
we don't have a sort of a, a proper, I guess, things like uh, job shadowing type scheme. People shadow every day, but we just don't have any type of scheme. But we do have a lucky dip process, and a lucky dip is where you literally put the names in a hat, and you draw names up, and you could, you, you, and then you go and spend a day or so with that person. And and it, it's not something that you necessarily wanted to do. It's not something you, you intended to go and do. It could be a company. But the point is, is you're trying to drive an environment that has a, a degree of understanding and appreciation for the complete variety of roles and disciplines that go on that make this thing work, right? Uh, and it opens people's eyes, right? So again, it just drives a level of understanding and collaboration for quite a random thing that you just don't get you know, elsewhere. So, so yes, we do, do, do stuff. And when we do stuff, we, we try and do things in a way that underpin the value system that you're trying to generate, that culture stuff you're trying to generate. Um, but equally, when you're hiring those values, it sort of looks, lots of it looks after itself. It sounds like you use a strong values-based culture to create the order in the environment. And you actually use process, sometimes a lack of process, and sometimes additional process, like your lucky dip um, activity, to throw a bit of chaos into the ordered system that is the values. And by trying to keep those two things always, always in balance or in check a bit, that entropy, as you described it, that's what creates these sort of moments of serendipity and outcomes that you didn't necessarily design, but you have confidence might happen because you value, you've hired for values. Lots of the things you do reinforce those values. And so people uh, should be taking decisions in line with those values. And sometimes that's just all a bit too nice. So you've got to throw some stuff in there that's just going to shake things up. And that's when actually a process can be quite useful because converse, conversely to what most people think of processes, which create everything ordered and constrain everything, you're using them almost to do the opposite. I agree with that totally. Can I ask, um, coming back to hiring for values, just on a practical level, what are some of the things that you do to identify assess people's values we have a uh, values based capability sort of framework that we, we assess against we have a variety of exercises we'll put people through uh, on all the volumes total roles so so that's a you know we call it a boot camp um, but it's an assessment center in other type of words we're looking for those x factors um, and um, um, and then we have a variety of group and individual exercise we put people through that's specifically measured against some of those values that we're and different exercises are geared to, to select different competencies against those that value system um, so that was all again early doors work in terms of what we did for example we have an we have a, one of the exercises an office layout exercise where they literally design as a team the the office layout uh, and they literally have cut cut out bits of cardboard representing sofas and whatever, right? Uh, and they have to debate and discuss, but there's a whole bunch of science around the skills and attributes you're looking at that exercise to understand how that fits to some of our values, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's really quite, yeah, it's, 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 it's some pretty clever stuff. Values can be quite a subjective yes. thing. That so every, every single hire in our business will have um, one of our people champions involved in the hiring process. So that will either be in one of the interviews or in the presentations or whatever it is. Uh, we, we have uh, we have people champions that are 
that are skilled in and have been taught around how to assess that value system. So, so every single person in this business will not be hired unless they had a people champion as part of that recruitment process. So that doesn't have to be someone from the people team, the people outside of the people experience team. Obviously, the people team are often involved. But there's many other across the business have been trained to assess that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And then once you've got people here, we've talked in the past a bit about how um, performance is, is assessed, not just on what people produce, but how they work, which is based off the values again. Has that evolved uh, over time? The way we um, apply it sort of just has morphed over years, and I think it will morph, it needs to morph a bit more yet. We start off with a relatively formal structure uh, and I think we the conversations around performance and the assessment performance is much more powerful than the box ticking exercise that comes out the back of it right we're trying to force more dialogue and more conversation we want the assessment of performance to be a collaborative thing not a, a line managerial thing you know it's um, um, you know, so the, so the sense of you know calibration in in how other people talk, you know, the sense of talking through the wider population and really understanding as a collective what performance is and who's performing and why do people rate them as performing um, is incredibly powerful a discussion, and therefore we're trying to facilitate to have much more discussion about that stuff, and we're not worried so much about the box ticking. You know, and I think over the time where, where people were very focused on the box ticking, because that's what they're used to when they come from other banks in particular, but other businesses, we've definitely defocused the the value of the box ticking and emphasised much stronger on the value of the discussion. Yeah. Right? But you need something that prompts the discussion to happen at all. Obviously. Yeah. If you were to pick one thing now that you think... Yeah, 350 people, 360 people. This is the this this is going to make the biggest difference. If we can get this right in terms of our culture and our, and our employee experience, this will support us through the next wave of our growth. What would it be? Uh, for, for me, without a doubt, it would be resilience. Yeah, we are still a startup, and therefore you're you're only as good as getting through your next hurdle. Uh, so as much as we have five and seven year business plans, um, yeah, if you don't, if if you run out of cash in the next six months, then we get then we're out of business, you know. Uh, and and people look at you, it's strange when you say that because you're a bank, yes, but we're still a startup bank, and if we run out of cash, we're out of business. Um, and yes, we have all sorts of plans with the regulator around recoveries of the business and all the rest of it. Should that happen? Um, but you're only as good as getting to that that next milestone. Um, that drives, uh, yeah, we've got a massive long-term plan that, that is really exciting and great, but it drives an awful lot of very short-term stress delivery to get things in this next few months. And and therefore, you know, you, you are, you know, we are constantly concerned about the resilience of the organisation, the resilience of the individuals in the organisation, in terms of being able to believe and and desire the longer term outcomes, but be constantly bombarded with the short term delivery that's expected of them. Um, and some people absolutely thrive in that pressure, and it is pressure, true pressure, and people love it. Uh, and and some people thrive, but 
uh, and want to like it if that makes sense but then physically struggle with it right mm. um so you know so the well-beingness of the organization you know, the the state of resilience that we can constantly fight the fight yeah um uh, is is incredibly an important thing to think through and and to work yeah and and so yeah we do all sorts of well-being we've had we've had uh, you know um, Tibetan monks um, in there teaching meditation we've had um, we have a petting zoo every six months to come and visit yeah and people can have out yeah we, we do all sorts of things you know around the edges but we constantly every day are, are there to support our people through what what is um, you know a relentless ask and actually generally people love it they want to work they want to deliver right it's it's not a people but that doesn't mean people are always able to right and and that's uh, that's a challenge and that's something we work with every day yeah what role do you think the leadership team does or should play in shielding you know, acting like an umbrella to the organization that keeps some of that pressure off I, I would never use the word shielding because we're, we're too far open and transparent mm. for that that doesn't mean we share every burden everybody with every worry on everyone's head that's not the point either right yeah we are definitely in this together and I think we appreciate that people have different roles in in doing this but this is an incredibly open organization mm. you know, we don't we don't have secrets but we don't unnecessarily burden people with information that, frankly, they just they don't need to know and don't want to know. Yeah. There's, there's no point, right? Yeah. <laughs> if someone asks me something, I will 99 times out of 100, I will give them an exact, straight, open, mm. good, bad, or indifferent. It doesn't matter. They all get the answer, right? Yeah. There is no holding back. Um, I think that's a really interesting point of tension in your business. It's incredibly brave and different, I think, as a bank to be so open and transparent, which is a massive source of strength for Atom Bank. One of the most important things to you is developing resilience amongst people. Those two things are, they go hand in hand, but they're also in conflict in some ways. And so I can see why resilience becomes the, one of the key things you need to develop in your culture, partially because of the openness and transparency that you choose to operate with. Yeah, we get commentary around, oh, are we changing our strategy? Well, actually, interestingly now, I think our strategy has remained exactly the same as a strategy since we incepted this bank. The strategy is still the same. This is, this is great experience, it's low cost, it's self-service, it's going to do the plethora of banking products. Everything is the same. The tactics of how you get there, we change <laughs> every five minutes. And that creates, again, anxiety and stress. Mm. But everyone also gets that we're not changing it for the fun of it. We're changing it because sometimes because we can and therefore we can be much more responsive to market conditions or opportunities or risks, etc. And secondly, because we have to, to, to maximise the, sh the short-term uh, you know, value and customer experience we're trying to deliver, we have to constantly tune the tactics, right? Um, but actually, the underpinning strategy of this bank is absolutely where it started out. Mm. You asked the question, I said, well, yeah, what's the role of leaders? Well, 
you know, I don't think that's really it should, is really any different to any other business in terms of you know, for me the, the, the key role of, of, of leadership is, is to inspire mm. right um, you know this, this is a belief and if you believe in it um, then then the rest is relatively easy right uh, and if you lose that belief and don't feel inspired in terms of the purpose and the journey we're on then then you're going to find it incredibly stressful right um, so so the role of leadership I think you know in this business is no different in reality to others I mean it is one of inspiration right yeah. it is about taking away the barriers creating creating the freedom for people to be at their best and inspiring them you know to deliver on this journey that will create fantastic outcomes for our customers and for our shareholders. Mm. Given what you've just said about actually the vision hasn't changed for the bank could you share now where you'd like Atom Bank to be in three years time? I I, I think yeah those original vision statements are still still hold true. To be uh, a valued bank you know to to really maximize value um, you've really got to be one step ahead yeah you've really got to understand the financial well-being of that customer and to provision information and services that allow them to get more out of their money and we touched on this earlier yeah today yeah we're an app app based only bank you you, you have to have an app, uh, a mobile tablet um, um, but in a in a laboratory today, you can control uh, your, any computing device, including a, a mobile, via brainwave recognition. Right today, uh, yeah, sure. You need to wear a you know, a, a funny uh, beanie on your head that has various sensors that's picking up on your brainwaves uh, today um, to do that. But if that's if that's in a lab today, how many years is it going to be before? Yeah, you have an earpiece or on your glasses or something that's picking up on your brainwaves and you're able to communicate to your electronic device that's probably in the heel of your shoe or imprinted under your skin or where it will be that you can control. And when it comes to banking, you know, your ability to you know, to, to pay people, to check balances, to validate transactions, to save money, to pay off your mortgage, do all, all these things, you know, are relatively straightforward transactions. If you had that level of predictiveness and you could think it, you know, why wouldn't that be the way you interact to your bank? Mm. Um, so our view was, if, if you're really going to push boundaries, if you're really going to change the nature of banking, You've got to be helpful. You've got to you've got to maximise the value for 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 your customers, um, and and you've got to do it in a, such a seamless, easy way um, that it truly becomes intuitive, right? Um, and if you interface in that through brainwave recognition, which is where the technology is potentially moving in the next five, ten, fifteen years, why wouldn't you? Mm. We're very lucky that we've just been rated the the most trusted bank in the country uh, by Trustpilot um, and and we, we intend to keep that tradition. Our openness and transparency internally is because that is our inherent way we, we bank with our customers. You see everything, you see the pricing, you see the costs, you see how this thing works, right? We want people to understand that 
um, uh, because we have nothing to hide. We're trying to do what's right, um, and and that's 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 why Atom created. Um, and and if you can create that level of helpfulness and predictiveness and and seamless ability to manage your finances, then and you get a better price point in the process because we have low overheads. Why wouldn't you? Mm. What does that mean for your for the people that work here? Uh, I I think the the vast majority of people joined Atom because they believe in that in that mission. They truly believe that we're here to be a different type of bank. But I think people really buy that vision. That's why we've attracted so many people. And if we and, and we've got to continue to drive it. As soon as we start to deviate away from that, we, we start to play silly games with pricing or we start to, you know, people will lose faith immediately in what this is about, mm. right? And we never will. That is what this bank stands for. That's what this bank's all about. Mm. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this show, please leave a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people find us and to spread these ideas. If you end up testing any of the ideas shared in this show in your own organisation, please tell us about it at getintouchatthepioneers.co.uk. We love to hear your stories. Until next time, thank you for listening. Listening.